May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. Back at you after a brief hiatus with an episode I'm calling Defamation Nation Sports Edition. We are seeing tons of defamation lawsuits, as we have discussed on this podcast before, and we seem to be seeing a flurry of them from high-profile athletes. So to discuss that, I have invited on fellow podcaster and sports lawyer extraordinaire, Dan Lust. Dan, how are you today? I'm good, Rich. Pleasure to join you. And uh, yes, something is in the defamation waters in sports, but maybe you and I can figure it out here. Yeah, that that'll be good. I mean, I think we just dive in and talk about some of these cases that are pending. Um, I know you've been talking a lot about Brett Favre, who has sued a few people, including Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee for defamation. What's that lawsuit all about? Um, So I guess we can start there. And I think probably important to this story and and the other cases we're going to talk about, when you are an athlete of a certain level, right, a professional athlete, specifically here for Brett Favre, a Hall of Fame level athlete, there is going to be no argument that you are a public figure. And when you are a public figure, there's a little bit of a higher standard of defamation. So rich for people like you and myself, maybe at some point we'll be uh, famous enough where we'll be public figures, but I think we're somewhere towards the bottom, right? Or it could just be your, your neighbor, right? John Smith. You just have to prove falsity of a particular comment and you have to prove reputational harm. When it comes to an athlete or any other type of public figure, like a celebrity, you have to actually show that the person making the statements knew they were false or essentially made them recklessly. That's this concept of actual malice. So for Brett Favre, very interestingly, right, there's a story which I I think people will know at this point, but I'll I'll kind of give you the high notes. There's a story out of Mississippi that Brett Favre was alleged to have been involved in a type of welfare fraud scheme. And I think $70 million overall was involved. I think a portion of that, I think closer to $5 million is alleged to have been attributed to Favre. Still under investigation. Favre has not been charged with the crime, but he is being investigated by the state of Mississippi. So that's a story that made the rounds back in September. It's been kicking around for about a year, but many outlets are reporting on it. And they use those big terms, right, Rich? Like allegedly, reportedly, supposedly, all that stuff. So as long as you were not making, if you're just kind of relaying the news and you're saying per reports, this happened, right? You're not really making any type of factual assertion that could be actionable under defamation. What Brett Favre is alleging is that when Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee covered his particular case, that they strayed beyond just normal reporting and they went into actually making factual assertions that were untrue. And not only that, that these assertions, right, that either Shannon Sharp or Pat McAfee made them with actual malice, essentially that they knowingly lied, that they knew what they were saying is false, but they did it anyway. And for Sharp and McAfee, I think the allegation from Favre's perspective is that they did it right to we'll say pop the ratings, right? They both have uh, big shows on Fox Sports and the Pat McAfee show. So that's the general gist of the of the Favre cases with respect to Sharp and McAfee. Okay, so that's a great summary. Let's look at it a little bit. You you make the point, of course, that because Brett Favre is a public figure, he would have to show actual malice. But also, in order to win a defamation claim, he has to show that what they said is false. So he has to prove that he didn't commit these acts that he's been accused of. Why would he undertake that kind of burden of proof? 
you raised something interesting, right? Brett Favre is already under investigation by the state of Mississippi for these particular uh, allegations. Right? There's a civil complaint that's also been filed in this matter. So you said something, and I, I probably should have said it up front. For any defamation case, if you're a defendant, the truth is going to be an absolute defense. So if Favre wasn't worried enough maybe about Mississippi or, or those locally trying to kind of figure out if he was involved in this welfare fraud, he has now sued two people who are have the financial means and now the financial motivation to figure out if what Brett Favre did was true, if those allegations that he was involved in that scheme were true. So, Rich, you ask a good question. Why would Brett Favre do that, knowing winning a defamation case is incredibly hard, and now he's just invited more people to kind of look under the hood? That's a good question. These defamation cases are very hard to win. And if you just listen to the statements that um, specifically Pat McAfee I guess we should talk about it, right? He's not, he, maybe he's close to Rich. Like I'm, I'm in New York as I'm, I, I think you're in New York too, right, Rich? I am. Yeah. He's kind of like a, like a radio jockey, like a Howard Stern. He just kind of makes comments. He's not like a journalist with a big J. So if Dave Chappelle, like a stand up comedian, made these exact comments, you wouldn't need to worry about factual assertion or actual malice. Dave Chappelle would just get up and say, I didn't intend these to be some type of a real report. I just was was making a joke in jest. So I don't know. We, sh- we should mention that, too. It's a very hard case for, for Brett Favre to win. And now Sharp and McAfee obviously are very motivated to prove the truth of these. So, yeah, it's, it's right. a head-scratching move by Favre. That's right. And they can defend the case by either by proving that the allegations are true or by proving that they did not know and did not have reason to know that they were false. Either of those defenses would be paths to victory for them, right? Correct. Yeah. Let's just say, I, I know I, I joke online that it's an uphill battle. If you're a sports betting person, I'd say Favre has just as much of a chance of winning as maybe like a 16 seed upsetting a one in our upcoming March Madness. So yeah, it's a yeah. it's a very tough uh, tough one here. What's the percentage on a Hail Mary pass? <laughs> it's probably less than 10%. It's probably right around there. That's fair. All right. Well, so from football and and part of my premise for this episode is that we cross a lot of sports here. Let's move to baseball. We have Trevor Bauer, who was a prominent Major League Baseball pitcher until he was suspended from the league. And he's been engaged in some litigation relating to that, right? He has been. It's actually three separate cases. Actually, we just had some news recently. Trevor Bauer actually signed a, a contract over with the Japanese Baseball League. So Trevor Bauer is back to playing baseball. It's not necessarily with the Dodgers or the Mets locally over here. But I guess where that story starts, uh, again, just a, a brief synopsis, but I think important. Trevor Bauer was accused uh, a little over a year ago of being involved in a, a kind of sexual assault claim with, um, not to get so into the weeds, but it was an allegation of whether a sexual act went beyond the level of consent. So two consenting individuals, at some point it's alleged that that interaction went from consensual to non-consensual. So there was a uh, restraining order hearing over in California. I believe two prior accusers came forward to Major League Baseball with with respect to separate acts and separate dates when he was with different organizations. As a result of those investigations by Major League Baseball, Trevor Bauer was suspended for two years by Major League Baseball, later reduced to a year. So in that process, Bauer had to essentially fight for his reputation in order to come back to Major League Baseball. Same thing like Brett Favre. He had to try to prove that not just that those matters were false, that what was being said about him wasn't true, that the people making these statements were making them up maliciously with this actual malice 
And they knew they were false, but they were saying them anyway. So Trevor Bauer started three separate lawsuits, one against the initial accuser in, in California that remains ongoing, and two against separate members of the media. I think one against The Athletic and one against Deadspin for reporting on certain aspects of the case that, again, Bauer alleges that they were being reported on, knowing them to be false. So that's overall kind of landscape of the Bauer defamation cases. Okay, let's move to a couple other sports. I'm starting to feel like this is a legal episode of Sports Center. Let's turn to basketball because now we have Rashawn Holmes. What's that suit about? You know, this one's actually a little bit interesting. And, and Rich, I think in case you probably followed closely, I guess uh, Johnny Depp lawyers have taken this case on. So Rashawn uh, Holmes, a basketball player with the Sacramento Kings, has filed a lawsuit against the Sacramento Bee and one of their columnists. I think there's some dispute of whether she's a, an opinion writer or she's a, a journalist, but neither here nor there. It was a messy dispute between Rashawn Holmes and a significant other. And that story was, it was about a custody dispute and whatnot. And Rashawn Holmes alleges that the Sacramento Bee behind that reporting basically took the opposing party side and painted it in an unfair light. And again, the allegation is that they did it knowing it to be false. So Rashawn Holmes is not a We'll say he's not an all-star level player. Like Trevor Bauer was a Cy Young Award winner, best pitcher in baseball. Brett Favre is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Rashawn Holmes is still a public figure, but he's not someone that I think is so well-known outside of his local markets of Sacramento. I think the story is big, and maybe, well, I guess I'll jump ahead a little bit. The Johnny Depp team hired him. So I think a lot of these lawsuits in this day and age are somewhat related. This is my personal opinion. Somewhat related to the Johnny Depp case. I think people might have a misconception about how hard these cases are to win. And I, I find that part interesting, that uh, it was actually the Johnny Depp team who is re representing him here in a case that I'm not sure was worth filing because now we're talking about Rashawn Holmes where I, I don't think he's on many people's radars. So yeah, that's that's another downside to filing these suits when they might be a 50-50 and now everybody knows your name, knows you associated with this lawsuit. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Camille Vasquez, who was one of the lawyers on the Johnny Depp team, is representing Holmes in that case. And I think you're also right that the Johnny Depp team is in many ways a catalyst for this kind of litigation because Johnny Depp ended up settling all of that litigation for a million dollars, which I guarantee you is much less than he spent on lawyers for the cases. However, he was able to restore his name and reputation, and I think we're going to see his film career. He is the model for these plaintiffs because he staged a very public war in the guise of a defamation lawsuit. And even though he had only a slight victory in court at the end of the day, he had a massive victory in public relations. Yeah, I agree. The other thing, too, which we should mention on, on these, right, there's a cease and desist that goes out generally. I'm not sure if it went out in the Holmes case. I know it did in the Favre case, where essentially you're saying, hey, stop talking about my client. Maybe you retrash your retraction, right? And if you do, you know, that's it. So some of these cases we'll never hear from. If someone will issue a retraction, you know, it happens a lot in the media. You'll go back to an article a month after you read it, and there's the New York Times or someone saying, hey, an initial version of this article reported this inaccurately. So sometimes that happens, and we'll never know how often that does. But in those instances where that warning is ignored, then the lawsuit files. So I think you're right, Rich, and I think you explained it really well, that a lot of these are a device to repair your reputation. It is a complete different animal to actually go ahead and then file that lawsuit. 
think one of the cases that we're going to talk about today, that, that actually happened in where someone didn't carry through with the threat, but maybe maybe for the best. Okay. You're right about that. I mean, I've sent out a lot of those letters myself and uh, in some circumstances that I'd love to talk about, but I can't talk about. And sometimes you can get a retraction or sometimes you can just get a writer or a media outlet to back off going forward. And that might be good enough for your purposes rather than litigating it. So that happens for every one of these cases we see in the court there may be dozens where there have been that kind of communications going on. And by the way, there are also people who send a cease and desist letter, don't get a positive response, and nonetheless decide for various reasons it doesn't make any sense to sue. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 always different. Let's just cover a couple other of these. In golf, Patrick Reed. That was the case I was referring to. I'll, I'll kind of be brief on this one. Patrick Reed is a PGA Tour player that has since defected to the Live Tour. Uh, and in the, the midst of that move from uh, PGA to Live, he ends up filing a lawsuit against the Golf Channel for alleged defamatory coverage. So they're saying that the Golf Channel's malicious coverage of him over the years has resulted in him not playing as well on the tour, not winning as much in terms of earnings. And interestingly, he's alleging that the crowd's response to him at local events has been influenced approximately caused by their kind of malicious coverage. So he's saying that the crowd calls him a cheater and all this other stuff. And people that follow golf closely should know that Patrick Reed has cheating accusations that have, have gone longer in the past than the Golf Channel's coverage. But Rich, I, I did allude to, to one part of this. There was, a, I guess, in the context of Patrick Reed, there was a comments by, I think it was Bob Costas. Uh, I'm not sure what channel it was on, but Patrick Reed's lawyers sent very publicly Unless Costas and whoever he was talking to at the time, apologize, I should know the name, but said if, if they continue to speak in this regard and if they don't issue a retraction, they'll be sued within, I think he said, like two weeks. So that deadline has come and gone from Patrick Reed's lawyer and no lawsuit. We haven't seen the public retraction. So sometimes you file that, you, you fire that bullet and sometimes they don't issue the retraction and then it kind of forces you to make that decision. That's interesting. And an interesting allegation about the sports commentary having an impact on the crowd reaction. I could see some other athletes making similar arguments. Let's move to a very recent one, which is Michael Irvin, the former Dallas Cowboy football player. And he's a broadcaster now himself. And I guess he was taken off the air because of an allegation that he did something improper that he disputes. Yeah, this was uh, kind of going back not that long ago to the Super Bowl coverage. So Michael Irving was in Arizona for the recent Super Bowl coverage. He was at a hotel calling itself the Marriott. I think there's some dispute as to whether it was actually true Marriott or they had licensed their name out. But in any event, Michael Irving, uh, he's in the lobby of the hotel. Actually, the surveillance video just came out. So we actually can now, now see what happened. But according to him, he had an interaction with the woman. It was completely professional. It was an employee of the hotel. And he didn't think anything of it. He went up to his room, and then all of a sudden, security is at his door. He's subsequently taken off of the NFL Super Bowl coverage relating to this incident. He alleges that someone with the hotel filed a complaint with the NFL regarding this interaction. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can have – it doesn't have to be members of the media. Michael Irving has filed a $100 million defamation case against Marriott, assuming their employee as well, for this particular incident. So – 
We don't know what it was, right? Uh, the NFL claims that they received a report that it was an improper contact between Irving and, and a female employee. The uh, surveillance video just came out. Uh, so I have that up in my timeline, and I'm sure, Rich, you can, you can find that as well. I saw that. It's yeah. a little grainy. You certainly don't see anything on it that looks all that bad, but I don't know if it's conclusive. Yeah, I, I, I pointed out, right? You have to, for a public figure, right? And this is, again, you have to, the public figure has to show that this was knowingly made in a false way. Obviously, it harmed his reputation. He was kicked off of the Super Bowl coverage. I'm not sure if it's worth $100 million. Maybe it is. But yeah, the video, I'm not sure if it's like the smoking gun that it shows that nothing happened. But it's not, it's certainly, I can't see anything in the video. Obviously, there's no audio, so we don't know what was said. But from a physical perspective, I don't think it rises to the level of something where you should have been kicked off television. We'll see if the audio ever comes out. But uh, interesting that that video has now kind of come to light. Let's talk about one last guy. And this is somebody you mentioned to me earlier who who hasn't sued for defamation as far as we know. And that's the quarterback, the now Cleveland Brown quarterback, Deshaun Watson. He was suspended for more than a year, I think, on the basis of multiple allegations of assaults on women, none of which have been taken to trial. So no defamation suit from him against anybody, as far as we know. For someone that claimed that these cases against him were false, you would think that a defamation case would follow, right? 20 plus women sued Deshaun Watson for, we'll call them um, a massage, a consensual massage, a, a paid for massage that at some point, 20 plus women all have the same allegation that the massage went from being consensual to something that didn't resemble a massage and resembled something close to sexual abuse or sexual assault. So Sean Watson very publicly fought this, fought these lawsuits, one a handful of which I think maybe two or three still remain ongoing, but the remainder of which were settled. The NFL figured out a, an 11 week suspension for Deshaun Watson. He's already served it, but for a period of time, right? Deshaun Watson was claiming that these were untrue, right? And if 20 plus women come out and they all say the same thing about you with different incidents, different occasions, different dates, different locations, and these women don't know each other. I mean, it's very hard, at least from us, for reasonable people on the outside, unless you think there's some large conspiracy that all these women have just found together and made up these claims, it seems like there's something potentially there, right? So I did find it odd for Watson to have claimed his innocence, said he didn't do anything wrong, and, and then not even, you know, there's no sniff of a defamation case. That's, that's why these defamation cases are there. And we as lawyers or those that kind of know these areas of defamation law, I think you can sometimes, like here read into a little bit of the fact that a defamation case is not filed. I think that does tell you a lot, especially here. That's interesting. Now, let's just say it was just one case. It was just one woman, and she charged Watson of inappropriate activity. If she makes a claim against him, she has the burden of proof. She has to prove in a civil court, more likely than not, that he did the inappropriate thing. If he sues her for defamation, it's now his burden of proof. And he has to prove more likely than not, he didn't do anything inappropriate. And I would totally understand if he concluded in consultation with his lawyers, you're going to have a difficult time in a he said, she said case one-on-one -on -one, prevailing when you have the burden of proof. And therefore right. it's inadvisable. Right. And you also have to keep in mind just the fundamentals of actually what happened, right? If someone is alleging someone sitting on a massage table 
and the masseuse is claiming that he did something inappropriate. I mean, it's her subjective belief as to whether something occurred, whether she felt uncomfortable. So that actual malice standard would have worked very heavily against Deshaun Watson in a defamation suit because it's her subjective belief if she felt uncomfortable, if she didn't consent to something. Again, Watson would have to prove that she knew what she was saying is false and did it anyway. Just very briefly on the Trevor Bauer stuff, we didn't talk about it, but there was a temporary restraining order hearing in California. And in that case, Rich, a judge actually ruled that the accuser, in denying the restraining order, found that the accuser made, I think the quote was, materially misleading statements. So that's on a silver platter. That's a judge who has no involvement as an impartial party in theory, saying that the accuser made misleading statements. There was some kind of ugly text that came out from the accuser, kind of along the line of, I think one of the quotes was like, secure the bag, that she was trying to make money out of this. So certainly the optics weren't good. And it was sitting there for Bauer to take. Now, did Bauer have to sue? No, but that's seemingly a case where Bauer, right, had nothing to lose, suspended from baseball for two years. And if the narrative of this story continues on for another year, right, while Bauer's not playing Major League Baseball, that's one thing. But for Deshaun Watson, right, and again, I try to try to be fair on both sides of it, he has served his 11-week suspension. There was still time to sue under the defamation statute. And he just made the decision, I think a business one, Hey, I'm playing NFL football now. The story is in my rearview mirror. If I file these defamation cases, I'm going to have to be dealing with this while I play games. Let's just put this in the past. So I, I certainly see it both ways. Yep, I do too. All right. Well, Dan, I, I have the feeling you and I could talk about these cases for hours, but we call this podcast Law Brief in part because we try to keep it brief. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself if they are not already familiar with you and your podcast? No problem. Uh, so I'm a full-time attorney at a firm, Mord, Hawk & Hamroff in Long Island. I'm the head of the sports practice over here. And I'm a adjunct professor of sports law at, uh, I, I almost said NYU, but that would be very impressive. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm at uh, New York Law School and I'm at Fordham. And then uh, I host a, a podcast called Conduct Detrimental, the sports law podcast, where we talk about any issues at the intersection of sports and law. So it could be defamation, it could be workers' comp. We really kind of, uh, whatever wherever the news cycle takes us is where we go. Yeah. And I listen to your podcast regularly. If you like sports and the law, or even end or it is a great listen. This podcast, we ask for a closing argument. So do you have one with respect to the flurry of defamation cases in the sports world? I guess uh, I wasn't ready for this, but I, I think I have one. And we didn't, we didn't talk about it. There are certain states, Mississippi is not one of them, at least with respect to, to Brett Favre. There are certain states, if you file a meritless defamation case, you could be hit with costs. There's something called a, an anti-slap statute. And those statutes are created to avoid people filing these defamation cases and kind of quelling someone's First Amendment rights to free speech. So whether you're on the plaintiff side or you're the defense side, always keep that in mind. You have to, I mean, I think most states have one of these anti-slap statutes. Mississippi just doesn't. So for Favre's purposes, if he was in an, an anti-slap state, he could have been forced to cover all of the defense fees associated with him bringing that lawsuit. So keep in mind, right, there are states, and before anyone gets all worked up, there are states that have passed legislation, I think the majority of which do punish people who file meritless defamation cases. But uh, we're not quite that year on, on, on all 50 states. So I wouldn't mind that. If the courts bear out that the case was meritless, you should kind of pay the attorney's fees. I, I don't see a problem with that. Yeah, you have to be careful uh, when you bring a, a suit like that. There can be many downsides. I just want to add two quick things. One, 
what we're seeing here in the sports world, we're seeing that in a broader sense too. There is a much more defamation litigation right now than ever in all the years I've been practicing law. We're seeing very prominent cases. We've seen some successes in cases like the Johnny Depp case. I think you may see some success in these Dominion voting cases that are being litigated now. So defamation is hot, and that's why I keep calling it defamation nation. One interesting thing I wonder is if we'll get to a point where we will have a presumption about people who don't bring defamation suits. You know, we were talking about the reasons Deshaun Watson probably didn't want to pursue defamation litigation. But are we going to get to the point where we assume if someone doesn't file for defamation, it must be true? We're getting very close. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, we are. We're certainly getting there. And I, I don't love to see it, but people are going to see it. Brett Favre, who I, you know, my personal opinion, I don't, I don't think he has much of a case here. Um, if Brett Favre will file it, right? And I, I guess in closing, we should we should talk about this too. There is this concept, Rich. I know you're familiar with this. This concept called this Trizand effect. That by filing a lawsuit, sometimes you bring more attention to the the bad act itself that people won't know about. So I think people should be wary about bringing defamation cases, not just in terms of creating a, a bad bad precedent and putting pressure on people. But by bringing unnecessary attention to this lawsuit, like Rashawn Holmes, uh, Rich, you and I would never would have spoken about Rashawn Holmes had he not filed the lawsuit, and most people wouldn't have. So I yeah, frankly, I, I, think, I frankly, yeah. Dan had never heard of him. I mean, I follow the NBA a little bit, but I had never heard of him. Yeah, and that's the Barbara Streisand effect, named after that famous case where she was alleging a photographer took a picture of her clifftop mansion, and I think the the discovery bore out that like five people had seen this on some like private photographer's blog and then certainly much more than five people became aware of this photograph after a Barbara Streisand lawsuit was filed so I think you got to think twice and and certainly consult with an attorney before you make that decision to file a defamation case I agree Dan Lust thank you so much for coming on we'll see you around my pleasure thank you again for listening to Law Brief Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief.